0: We all naturally, I ought to say something. I'm Father Sam Randall. I'm the priest director of Radio Maria, And I apologize for booming at the beginning. Um, this is the first time I used the mic. So I'm with you, actually, for the next seven days. So uh, you'll get used to my voice. I want to do something slightly unusual. I know today is a feast day of St. Cecilia. Uh, I know it's at least one person here's patron saint, the great musician sitting at the back. But um, I want to do something unusual in these next seven days and talk about slightly different people. And the reason I've chosen today's uh, person is because he died on this day, uh, but in 1935. So a totally different person. Um, we all like to privilege the period we live in. We think ours is the time. This, is, this is, And often you hear, isn't it true? It's never been so terrible. Well, that's because we've got no sense of the historical and lack imagination. Believe me, there'd be much worse times, even in Victoria in 2022. It'd be much worse. And I want to talk about this gentleman, whose name is Eberhard Arnold, um, because uh, he was living in a a much worse time than we were. People actually believed the Messiah had come in the in the 30s in Germany. They sang hymns to him. They did said prayers to him. Uh, They they had all sorts of things, and it was Adolf Hitler. They believed he. Many people believed that he was the Messiah. Now it sounds incredible to us. But if we put ourselves back then, in the 1930s, in a sort of economic catastrophe that was in Europe and, and in the North America, and also uh, post-First World War, looking for some sort of hope, we might think maybe there's something in it, but we know differently. But God always raises up people who can see, and uh, this is not the Messiah. And even though things were absolutely shocking and awful, um, there was one man, this, there were many people, but this is one extraordinary person called Eberhard Arnold. Eberhard Arnold uh, wanted to be a doctor, but his dad had been a professor of uh, theology and, and cajoled him, pushed him into doing theology. He didn't really want to, uh, but he did, and thank God he did. So he, um, he, was, he was trained at a place called Erlangen in, in Germany. Um, which is an extraordinary uh, city I've been, and I've studied German actually, in Erlangen. Erlangen became the real centre for um, the Nazification of the church. It became a real centre for when um, there were theologians who were supporting the Nazis. And Erlangen was that place, the Protestant faculty in particular at Erlangen. And uh, so he grew up in that sort of milieu where, where people were Wondering about who's the Messiah and is Hitler it and where shall we go and what about Germany and isn't it all terrible? And, um, but he read the Gospels and he took them very seriously, particularly the Sermon on the Mount. It impressed him deeply. He didn't just, he could have had a, an academic career and just been a professor, but he, he wanted to take the Gospels seriously. So he started doing Bible studies, inviting people, friends from across Erlangen to come and join with him. And they decided to take the gospel really seriously and uh, to um, share things in common because they'd read this in Acts and to live a life of community. So they, 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 he's, he's cashed in his um, life, life policy, you know, insurance policy and various other things, and they got a farm. And um, firstly, uh, about a few people joined. But in that first year, a thousand people from across Germany visited the little community to see what was going on. It wasn't the only one. I can tell you about other communities that were springing up across Germany. Many of them, some Catholic, some Protestant, but some ecumenical, where people were trying to respond to the crisis that was in Germany. It was a wonderful time for some and terrible time for others. Now, his little community attracted people from across the churches. It also attracted Jews it also attracted um, um, disabled war veterans and others, and they formed a little community. And in the end, they had to go because it was 100 people. And they went to another place and set up. Well, as National Socialism got a grip on Germany, um, it became very difficult for, uh, of course, the Jews, but also for some Christians. And the Gestapo and SS surrounded the community in 1933. Now, fortuitously, Ebhard Arnold had broken his leg, and it was really bad break. So they did decide not to take him away, arrest him, but they banned them from publishing anymore or having guests, this little community. It's called the Bruderhof, the Bruderhof, this little community. They weren't allowed to have anyone there, and, um, but they kept their witness going. Now, I I bore people about this, but my doctorate, my specialist, my interest, because of my own background, uh, my encounter with uh, Jewish people and others, had been this period of history. And um, I looked very hard to see which religious communities put up resistance to the Nazis. their Nazification of the church, their their, um, attitude to disabled people, to other people, and particularly, of course, the Jews. And of course, there were wonderful witnesses, wonderful voices. But I could only discover two religious communities that held the faith right through. Um, afterwards, you can ask me what the second one was. It's rather surprising. But certainly, one of them is the Bruderhof. So they didn't give in. There were constant problems uh, with it. And they wanted to remove all the children from the community. So the Bruderhof shipped all the children into Liechtenstein. Uh, from Lichtenstein they went off. And then, of course, all the men had to be conscripted. This happened across Germany. So you'd find monks in monasteries of an age were taken away forcibly and put in the Wehrmacht. I mean, what people don't know about this period, they talk a lot about the Reformation, but do you know that 126 monasteries were shut by the Nazis? It's a time of great persecution for the church. People, I know we focus quite rightly and understandably on the Jews, but it was a persecution period for the church as well including the Bruderhof. So um, they came for Arnold, but his his broken leg was so bad, he went into hospital and um, they amputated his leg. And um, he died, so November the 22nd, 1935, but he's rescued his community. They managed to escape through um, Holland onto England and then into Paraguay and eventually to North America. I tell you this because I, I want you to know how important the gospel is that when we feel things aren't, are terrible we need to read our scriptures and see the, the resources that are there and think about these things in the past in history but now if you wanted to think about the, the Bruderhof you could visit them today in New South Wales they're in D'Antonia Uh, They're also, across the world, there are thousands of these Protestant Christians living in community in in places like in battle in England and in in New York and in Austria, and this great, great, um, um, if you like, ecumenical dialogue. When I went this year, I think the Sisters of the the Martha had been there, so it's great. I I know when I worked with the Franciscans of the Renewal, the Bruderhof were there, it's great to see these wonderful groups coming together. There are 300 now living in D'Antonia. They've also got a, a couple of other houses here in Australia, but they welcome visitors. If you want a, a taste of something that happened in the 1930s, or if you want to see what it, it's like, so it's group. there's 300 um, Protestant mostly, Christians living together. They've taken vows of poverty, so they don't have any possessions themselves. They've taken vows of chastity, and vows of obedience. Chastity means, of course, they're very pro-family and love children. And when you go, the place is awash with children. But this little community in D'Antonia, when I went just about two months ago, has renewed the land. They bought a derelict farm that had completely eroded and corroded the land. They planted thousands of trees, and it's brought renewal to the land. And they've now bought two adjoining farms, and they've got, um, when you visit them in England, you sit down and eat a meal with a thousand Christians. It's, it's tremendously moving. Tremendous. So there are now thousands of these Protestant Christians who've taken these vows of poverty uh, and um, chastity and obedience. And people are surprised by that. So one thing I want to do, I'm the priest director of Radio Maria, but I've had a rather different life from most priests. And I've got around a bit, if you like. But you could visit them uh, today, and it's an extraordinary Australian community here. Um, And you can go and you can join in their life and and, uh, times. So today, let's give thanks, of course, for Saint Cecilia. I know all of you have heard many sermons about Saint Cecilia, but take the trouble to look up Eberhard Arnold and the Bruderhof on Google. It's really inspiring. And uh, God gives such witnesses to us to remind us about the commitment that we need to make when we seek to follow Christ and the power of the gospel. And let's today give thanks for this extraordinary person, Ebhard Arnold, who understood the demands of the gospel, stood against the Messiah of his day, and, um, and was persecuted for it and, and died. So we give thanks for Ebbard Arnold in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.